Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what is up? Welcome in. Monday episode of the show. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark, as you see behind Chris, he is joining us from the beautiful Still Hand Studio um, right over there in Casey, South Carolina. Excellent place to enjoy some adult beverages or to hang out, some great food. And uh, Chris and I will once again be there on this Friday evening. So go ahead and mark your calendars if you're already in town, if you live in town, or if you're just already in town for that matchup with Tennessee. Uh, we'll be out there for an oyster roast, uh, some music, a good time. Uh, our good buddy Michael Haney, who used to be with 107.5, he'll be out there performing. So should be an excellent time on Friday. Chris, already out there um, getting some oysters ready for Friday. Um, but, uh, no, of course, we're here to talk about South Carolina's, um, I mean, I don't even know what words y'all want to use. It was a it was a domination by Florida, uh, 38 to 6 on Saturday afternoon in the swamp. A um, couple little news items before we get to that. South Carolina, Tennessee officially sold out. Uh, that was announced uh, right before we went on the air here on uh, the GC Live show. And um, the Tennessee-South Carolina game will be at 7 o'clock. Uh, that was uh, confirmed on Saturday because uh, it was going to be 7 or 7.30. They used that little six-day window. That's official. And um, also, y'all, uh, South Carolina-Clemson will be a noon kickoff in Clemson. So uh, we'll go ahead and knock out the little news items first. Chris, uh, I don't know where you want to start, man. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think Florida's offense against Carolina's defense, um, it played out sort of like the worst case scenario of what we thought it could be. You know, like we, I think we detailed that part all week long. Like, look, this can be a tough matchup. Uh, their running game against Carolina's defense. However, um, you know, I think we thought there could be some reasons for possible success offensively against the Florida defense that has struggled. That, quite obviously, was not the case at all. It was not. Um, I think, uh, what did you pick, Wes? Our score predictions are pretty close. I was 34-24 Florida. I was 35-27 Florida. Yeah, so, so really close. And here's the the thing. The theme there is that both of us anticipated Florida ultimately being able to move the football and score some points and do it in the way that was kind of the nightmare scenario for South Carolina, right? Maybe not nightmare scenario, but certainly um, just the things that they would be able to do. Anthony Richardson on the ground, extending plays, some explosive runs from their backs, not being able to get off the field on third down because of all those things. But I think the biggest surprise, really, in all of it, Wes, was South Carolina's inability to get absolutely uh, anything going on, on the offensive front. Um, there have been some games this year that we've picked where I haven't picked South Carolina to have a lot of offensive success. Um, 
I definitely didn't anticipate a high level of success in this game, but I think just looking at Florida, their body of work, sure, a lot of it was against really good competition. For instance, Georgia, LSU, uh, some of the teams that they lost to. But you also go back and look, Wes, they gave up 17 points to Eastern Washington. Uh, they gave up 28 points and a 100-yard rusher to South Florida, who's currently uh, one and nine, and uh, you know just fired their coach in the middle of the season. And so you looked at all those things and some of the statistical things and thought, hey, even without Marshawn Lloyd, maybe South Carolina can find a way to move the football. And as it turned out, they couldn't. I mean, there's we can dive into all kind of the minutia of it, and, and I'm sure we will. But the bottom line is, couldn't stop the run, couldn't run the football. A lot of everything looked super hard offensively and then defensively just couldn't get off the field. So, uh, and then, you know, as bad as South Carolina played West in that first half, it's 21 6 at halftime. You just score a special teams touchdown, you get the ball back, you have to go out and have a successful first drive and then go get a stop. And of course, it went sideways for South Carolina after that with three straight turnovers. So, um, Tough, tough night for sure, and obviously it's caused and sparked um, a lot of big picture, you know, conversation in Columbia. Yeah, and, and rightfully so, man. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we we try to be as realistic and even kill as possible. At the same time, um, you know, I, I think I think fans naturally are going to get upset and are going to be a little more uh, passionate about it than uh, you know than we are as far as like you know getting too up or too down but man the way this game played out like I, I find really no fault in the fans right now being upset because um you know I if you can even say this about a 38 to 6 score it felt even more lopsided than that to me like I don't think that's some um crazy hot take either it just it felt like Florida pretty much um could do whatever they wanted like they dominated the game to me and it never you know once they got out to that quick start it never really the game really there felt in doubt you thought maybe maybe there's a momentum swing after the special teams score like you said um you know can you come out can you can you find something on offense and you know statistically chris this this um this Florida defense, yet yes, they have played some good teams, but um, man, they that was not a good Florida defense coming into this game. Like statistically, Carolina should be able to move the football on those guys. I feel like, and I, you know, and I I fully understand that um, having offensive success in the SEC consistently. Is not always easy, and there are teams you're going to go up against that you're just not going to look good. You know, like as upset as everyone was about the Missouri game, and not to re, you know, go all back into that. I can look at Missouri's defense on most Saturdays and what they've done, and be like, it's not a crazy thought that they were going to shut Carolina down. Um, the the big thing is just you face. You know, Vanderbilt's defense on paper wasn't that different than Florida's. Now, obviously, athletically, they are different. But going to this game, you say, man, even without Marshawn Lloyd, you should be able to get something going offensively where you at least move the ball, get your defense off the field. You know your defense. I I looked at this game, Chris, 
the onus was on the offense in this game to go score because you knew on paper the defense um, was probably not going to have a great night unless they could turn Florida over. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how it played out defensively. But, um, you know, again, no Lloyd, but, man, it's not like they're just devoid of of talent on offense. And um, it's not so much me that you lost. I really, frankly, did think they would lose the game. It's not so much um, necessarily even the score. It's to me that just they did not really have many drives where you saw them move the football at all, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I talked about the turnovers. I mean, to be clear, that didn't lose the game. That eliminated any chance for you to climb back in. And even then, it would have been extremely difficult because, again, you dug such a big hole. But uh, let's take out three turnovers. South Carolina didn't do anything in that game that inspires you to think, yeah, you know, if they if they had turned the ball over on those first three jobs, they'd probably go down and score on all three of those, or heck, even one of them, because there just wasn't anything going. Um, it was just really everything that could go wrong. I mean, it, to the extent that they had any pockets of possible success, most of the time, one-on-one on the perimeter, they lose that one-on-one battle. Um, the turnovers. Um Having maybe having a guy open didn't happen often in the passing game, and the the trigger doesn't get pulled or you take a sack or whatever may have happened. So it, it was just a lot of a lot of bad packed in there, Wes. And, and I think look, Shane Beamer made the point on Sunday uh, during his teleconference that this wasn't a one game sample, um, which I think lost in all of the. Um, you know, talk about what Shane Beamer has been saying in his press conferences. That was an interesting nugget for him to say, is that it's not a one-game thing. It's not like they played great all year and had this one-game aberration. Even in games where they've had some success and won some games, Kentucky, Texas A&M, there's kind of caveats to those, right? Like there's the caveat of, well, now we know Kentucky's not very good. They got Will Levis back and just lost to Vandy at home. A&M's a disaster. You know, you won those football games. Those count. They should be celebrated. Heck, hadn't beat those teams very often or ever if it's A&M. Um, so they should be celebrated, but you can still look and you can kind of see, hey, they're going to have to play a lot better once the schedule, um, you know, ramps up in intensity and difficulty. And that has not happened. And so I think that's – that's the frustrating – it probably makes it even more frustrating for fans, Wes. We, t- we touched on this a little bit during the takeover hour on 107.5 earlier. Sometimes you can look at a position group or you can look at a side of the football and say they just don't have a lot there. They're squeezing what they can out of it. It's kind of the opposite, you know, defensively to an extent, but especially on offense. Because you have guys that have done some things at USC or have done some things at other schools in the past, and you put all those guys together, and this is something I've been saying. This might be my new phrase, Wes, for the rest of the year instead of turnover margin. Uh, the sum is not equal to the parts, and it's kind of hard to shake that feeling. Yeah, man, I, I think um, that that uh that's interesting that you bring up that beamer comment because um it was 
it's a short comment, but it carries some weight. And I, I think it especially carries some weight from Shane Beamer when you consider how um how how positive he is. Like that that is how you know, and, and fans get frustrated with that as well. Um I hate to tell you, like he's gonna continue to be positive. That is how he runs his program. You're talking about still a program that when he came in, um, there was not a lot of positivity in or around the program. It was not run as necessarily a, um, you know, a positive reinforcement type program um, is, I guess, the best way I can say it. So um, it was a big concerted effort, I think, to try and re-inject some confidence and some positivity into the program. And that's just how Beamer operates. So you're going to have to, I guess, kind of get used to it, I think, to an extent. However, um, that comment right there, I believe, was at least a little bit of a nod to like, all right, guys, I'm not an idiot. Like, I see, I see there are problems. I think just really frankly, at this point, um, nobody's making, I wouldn't think, I should never speak in absolutes in college football because we all know, Chris, um, things change very quickly. But I still maintain, we've said it for the last few weeks when people have asked about it, um, and now there's two games in the regular season left. You're not you're not making a change at OC in the middle of the season, and you're not making it with two games left. Um, so, but I, I think that was one of the first, Chris, and I, I don't I don't think we're reading into this too much. That was one of the first like little nods or open acknowledgments of not you know i'm not going to just kind of answer the question a certain way it was like an acknowledgement of um i I see the offensive struggles guys yeah yeah i mean that was the probably the biggest one even though it was kind of some subtlety to it right because beamer said i know we haven't been good enough we got to coach better we got to play better he said all those things and that continues and we are um, we are to the point, Wes, and I think it gets this way with any loss. There's always the overanalysis of of everything that's said in a press conference on a loss. Um, if Beamer got up there and said, everything is awful, I have the worst staff ever, I'm the worst coach ever, maybe that would, that would placate like a, a group of people. There'd be another group of people who would say, I don't care what you say, just do something. You know, you, you're kind of in that stage of, there's always the over-analysis, the, the dugout demeanor thing that we always see in baseball. Why is he not saying anything? Why is he not throwing stuff? Or he is throwing stuff. He needs to be calmer. We're to that stage, and that's fine. That's part of the commiseration, you know, of fans. There's there's nothing really wrong with that per se. I think what it goes down to is a frustration with the results, which is very well justified, and the fact that Beamer – even if he, you know, recognizes the problems, sure. I think it's very fair to say that. But why hasn't he made the move? And so we've been asked that question a lot. Uh, our guy Rob Prophet pointed out Cal just fired their OC and their O-line coach. That is true. Um, and I guess they've got two or maybe three games left, Wes. Um, they've struggled this season mightily on offense. So, so that possibility is there. Um, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. didn't happen last week. Didn't happen after this week. Things were 
normal. And so that is what it is. doesn't mean there will not be changes in the off-season, Wes. I think it's very fair to expect that there are going to be some shakeups in Columbia. Um, but it, it doesn't. it's not going to happen right now. And so uh, that's certainly what it looks like. One thing to uh, address, I've seen this one, Wes. What do you think about this? Will McLean, only reason is for university to save money. I don't get this one. Will, let me know if I'm off base here. Marcus Satterfield's contract runs out in January of 2023, so I don't see how it would save. The only way that the university would pay more money is if, say, Beamer elevated somebody in the middle of the season um, and they decided to pay the guy a little bit more. Um, and if he wanted to do that, that, that possibility would, would be there. So um, I don't think that's a reason for why it hasn't been done. Yeah, that that would be chump change to for a university, frankly. I mean, you're talking about even if you know, you elevated somebody, prorated them an OC um you know, salary, it's what, four weeks, you know, another month for the bowl game. I mean it's not Yeah. Even if you ha- if you even have to do that, I mean, you might. Yeah, yeah, even at like the furthest the most amount of money spent in that example um, is nothing to a college football yeah. program. And and yet, for, for the record, I was not saying when I said you're not going to fire somebody with two games left. I'm saying South Carolina is not going to do that. Like all all signs are that that's not happening. Right. Um, you know, so it, it is what it is at this point. I think everybody sees the issues. I think everybody sees the problems. Um, it just. Uh, it is what it is at this point. But, um, Chris, I, I again, and I'll, I'll go back to another comment on there. Yes, we've seen a lot of bad from this offense, but this this one was one of the worst in that, again, Florida's defense has not been – like we, we saw Carolina execute one week ago. I know it's Andy against a defense that is statistically similar to Florida. Um, And, again, even, like, we're very far away from the, oh, they're going to need to score 30 points to win this game, which actually, you know, ended up proving to be true. They're going to need to score in the 30s to win the game. Um, However, you know, maybe it's different if, if they score the 24, you know, I believe you predicted or, you know, get up into that 27. You know, it's a different conversation for me. If you go down there, you move the football, you score, and, um, you know, you just maybe have a couple things go wrong that you can't finish off some drives. Like, that to me is like, oh, that's football. Um, to me, the bit, the concerning thing is in the games where they have really struggled has been, you know, 200 yards of offense against Missouri. Um, whatever the total was this past week against Florida, or this past Saturday against Florida, and the fact that special teams had to spark the long touchdown, you know, had to score the long touchdown. Yeah, yeah, to actually score it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just running out of out of thoughts on on the Florida game, man. I mean, there's just, you know, obviously defense didn't the defense did not give. South Carolina any short fields to work with like we've seen in some other games, which, you know, has been an issue. But 
it eliminated, you know, the offense's inability also to move the football um, in a meaningful way. Let's, let's take out even scoring a bunch of points. That eliminated your ability to play complementary football, play field position, um, and, and that hurts you too And just trying to stay in the game. I mean, heck, you, you, you score one touchdown in that first half offensively and maybe force one punt you know, that you didn't otherwise force, you go into the second half with a much better chance. Instead, it's as you said, man, you go into halftime and you're you're kind of going, you're trying to run through scenarios where South Carolina could get back in the game and you're not finding a lot. And then very quickly they get back out on the field and, and it kind of completely goes the other way. So, yeah, it's just, end of the day, I wrote this in the Insider Report today, Wes, if y'all want to check it out, GameCrackCentral.com, some more you know, detailed thoughts um, after the game, bigger picture stuff, small picture stuff. But one one of the points I made is like, there's all these questions about the offense, right? Um, why why are guys that have had success at the collegiate level? Spencer Rattler is probably the best example, right? In 2020, we can sit here and go, well, he's not hitting this guy in the Gamecock conference, or why is he running into this sack, or why is he not throwing this ball? But he had a season where he was decidedly excellent at Oklahoma. And, yeah, they ran the ball well. Yeah, there was a lot of talent. But it's hard to kind of get that out of your out of your view. Um, you have Juice Wells. You have Jaheim Bell. You have Jalen Brooks and, and Josh Van, and you have a veteran offensive line. And you've got some other running backs on the team that, you know, presumably have some ability. And so – why has this team struggled so badly with turnovers? Why have they been wildly inconsistent? Why have they had so many three and outs or five and outs? And what I ended up landing on in the insider report, Wes, was this, it's kind of a rhetorical question. It's just that the offense is not and has not been working. It, it has not maximized what this team could be. And so ultimately you have to go, you know, up to the top level and, and recognize that it just it just has not worked out. And there's a lot of reasons, whether it's, you know, what's being taught, how it's being taught, the actual plays that are being called, whatever it may be. No, nobody expected this South Carolina offense to be utterly incredible this year, um, but to be more consistent, to be able to more, score more points than we've seen was a, was a very, very reasonable uh, expectation. Yeah, man, and I, I think, um, you know, we had a couple of people weighing in on the chat, like, you know, defense is a problem as well. Um, a- absolutely. I mean, and I, I do think, uh, Chris, I mean, we, um, we, we've, we've hit on that. We've, we've said several times. Right. <laughs> yeah, we've tried. Um, sometimes people don't listen. Um, but it, it has been, it's been a bit glossed over at times because, um, of the focus on offense and, you know, the offense has struggled and because, you know, for for one, I think Chris, you come in last year, there weren't significantly high expectations for the defense. You know, and I, I think um, we saw what the defense looked like at the end of the twenty twenty season, and you're sitting there going, "Whew!" You know, then they they bring in a a surefire starter at cornerback supposedly, and uh, transfers out. Uh, you know, during preseason camp and you're kind of sitting there, you're going, whatever they get out of this group, um, you know, could be a bit of a bonus, um, you know, frankly. And 
not that they were perfect last year by any means, but they hit, they hung in there. They looked well coached. Um, they they implemented a scheme, and they for the most part the guys seemed to know what they were supposed to do on any given play. And you go, okay, that's not an overly talented defense, top to bottom, depth wise especially, but they play hard. They know where they're supposed to be, and they give you a chance. And um, you know, I think you go into this year. I still, like, if we're going to have a nuanced conversation about this, Chris, I still do think you can explain away things on the defensive side a little bit more than you can on the other side. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I think there are some, some people would call them excuses. Some people would call them explanations. Like, there are some things where you're like, okay, my, my expectations are not for this to be a shutdown defense, say. Um you know, how, however, like the last few weeks, the deep, the run defense especially, which then flows into everything else, has been uh, – they've taken a step backwards. And I, I think sometimes we interpret – and I'm just talking about the collective we – we interpret a team having ups or downs or taking steps backwards as being, you know, inconsistency when really it's more about – the opponent and the team you're playing. And, hey, you know, this team is really good at this or this team's really talented. However, in this case, I don't think that's what we've witnessed because Missouri, not a great offense, still did what they wanted against South Carolina. Vanderbilt still ran the football, um, made it look way too easy against South Carolina. And then Florida, of course, doing kind of what we unfortunately thought they would do but then doing it, I would say, maybe even a good bit easier or more productively than maybe we even thought to an extent. Yeah, and going back to some of those things where you could kind of, I don't want to say explain away, but when you're just searching for why things are how they are defensively, I mean, you did lose two of your better players for the entire season. Jordan Strong, guy that's played a lot, Mo Kaba, who certainly represented, I would say, Wes, the best athlete in terms of size, speed, skill combination at the linebacker position. Had a great spring. Was going to be one of your better players. Gone. And, and we knew that other than that, linebacker, yes, they've got some guys with experience, Sherrod Green, Brad Johnson. Um, but there's athletically, uh, to be realistic, there's more of a drop-off there. Um, and then you've got some guys behind them, you know, Stone Blanton, Van Martin Scott, they just haven't played a ton of football yet. Um, Jordan Birch, Gilbert Edmond needed those guys to take a step forward. I think those guys have probably, Birch has shown certainly some moments. Gilbert Edmond, let's be fair about that one, he has surpassed everybody's expectations from stepping to a guy who was going to be probably a 20-snap guy to now playing 60, 70 in a game. They've had to play way too many snaps. Um, but I think you can still look and say there's some serious issues defensively, even given those things, right? And, um, again, I'll go back to it's more noticeable on offense because of the personnel, because of the expectations there. Um, the defense has done some good things at times this year, but um, the, the run defense has been very alarming. And so now you're thinking about playing West to, to bring it forward. A Tennessee team who just – uh, put up over 700 yards on that really good Missouri defense that we were talking about. Um, they kind of just picked their score in that game, especially in the second half when they pulled away. 
And then a Clemson team who has a good stable of running backs and ran the ball all over South Carolina last season. And that's your last two opponents. And then you're looking at both those teams' defenses and how they've been pretty solid, you know, for most of the year as well. Been some exceptions in there, but pretty solid. And you're trying to figure out where any points are going to come from from the Gamecock offense. And even if you can find some points, how can you possibly, you know, keep pace with especially Tennessee? So uh, not, a, not a great picture, you know, here at the end of the season um, for South Carolina. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, comment on here says if you switch the rosters, the result would be uh, the same. I, I can't get down with that, man. Tennessee has lost one game this year um, at Georgia. Granted, Georgia score was closer than that game even was. If we're being honest, you know, Georgia was Georgia was the superior team to Tennessee. But I mean, y'all can't. There's no way that you think you could just flip the rosters in South Carolina as a one. Um, or, or flip the rosters in Tennessee is just a one-loss team. You see what I'm saying? Like that, or flip the coaches in South Carolina is a one-loss team. I mean, I, I think that's a step too far. I, I think understand your point, and that is that Tennessee has done, especially on offense, a phenomenal job of developing their guys for this scheme and getting getting them ready, finding out who their quarterback is going to be. Um, even though at one point it looked like it was going to be Joe Milton. And, you know, they, you know, a lot of times people like to give coaching staffs um, grief for, you know, you didn't pick the right guy in practice. And, you know, you got to, you got to kind of be able to give them an opportunity to kind of play things out and and see what's going to happen in the games and stuff like that. Um, Not taking anything away from what Tennessee's done. What they've done offensively has been incredibly impressive. But, um, I mean, it, to me, it's been elite what they've done. So that's that's a tough bar, and they have players that that fit what they're trying to do, and or they have fit what they do to their players. I don't I don't know chicken or the egg, but all credit to them. But I can't get down with the idea that you could just flip the staffs and lose, you know, one game at South Carolina. So I'll, I'll push back on that. But um, what uh. What else you want to hit on, Chris? <laughs> just just throw it just open-ended. Well, um, you know, I, I think we, we talked a little, or I talked a little bit about Tennessee and Clemson. Of course, we're going to preview what Clemson will be next week. We'll get into Tennessee a lot more this week, try to get a Tennessee guest on West for later in this week, and we'll certainly talk a lot more about that game, but I think, look, we almost got there after the Missouri game, I would say. When you get to the back half of the season and you lose to Missouri and now, you know, you beat Vandy, you lose to Florida, and you don't have a kind of what's ahead thing. Like after Missouri, you had a, well, Vandy's up ahead, right? And you still have a chance to get bowl eligible and to beat Vanderbilt on the road and all those things. Now you're at six wins. You just had – you're, I mean, just a terrible performance against Florida, another laid egg, as Shane Beamer might put it. And um, you got Tennessee and Clemson up ahead. And those look, honestly, they look almost insurmountable right now, right? I mean, Tennessee's so good offensively. Um, 
with South Carolina's defensive struggles and then South Carolina's offensive struggles, it's just so hard to see a path in either of those games. And so uh, the sense that I get is a lot of Gamecock fans are just looking forward. One of our commenters was at the very beginning of the show said, I'm looking forward to December. And that's kind of where I feel like people are at. You get to December, um, certainly in that locker room, they're going to give it everything they have these last two games, but it's going to be an uphill climb. And so a lot of people bringing it forward to what does December look like um, in the transfer portal, both in and out? What are some adjustments like um, in terms of coaching changes? And so that's kind of that's kind of where people's heads to see, seem to be at, Wes. And that's unfortunate because, man, there's a lot of um, – a lot of excitement going into the season. The season has still yielded some really, really um, cool moments, some positive moments. I, I still think, you know, you rank the last two games. Clemson certainly is the more winnable, quote-unquote, game, even though, spoiler, I, I would not pick South Carolina in that game right now by any means. But, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at, man. It's, um, it's, it's a, kind of a rougher ending on the Orange Crush portion of the season here. Chris, I uh, I don't know if y'all are are getting me loud and clear or not. My, I'm having major connection issues over here. Um, so, right, you got me right now, Chris. I got you loud and clear. Okay, maybe I just don't want to talk anymore. But that's uh, what I was, I was uh, thinking. Conspiracy. Sorry, I outed you there. Yeah, no, it's uh, I I didn't hear anything you said, but I'm sure it was fantastic. My my screen just went out uh, completely, but um. Before we get close to closing this thing out, uh, i got to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax uh, at 803-462-5576. Overcome your tax size. Shout out to Larry and our friends at Liberty Tax for being major supporters of GC Live. Uh, tax time right around the corner. So um, believe it or not, you'll be getting ready to, to do those taxes. You want to make sure you can get as much money back as possible. Our friends at Liberty Tax here in the Midlands, they've got a location in Irmo, Lexington, and in Columbia, 803-462-5576. Uh, we tell you about them every single show, and we will continue to do that as we head into tax season. Again, shout out to those guys and girls. Um, sold out atmosphere for Tennessee game. Fans will be there, Chris. We'll be talking about it um, all week long, man. But I'm with you. It feels like... like <laughs> Here's the thing. I we try not to be disingenuous on the show. So I mean, on paper like I I don't think we can sit here and even be like, well, like, I don't even know what my keys to victory are going to be in this. Like I, I feel like the path is narrow. Am I am I being dramatic? Am I being too no, negative? No, no. The path is freaking narrow, man. No, it's it's realistic, honestly. I mean, um, let's let's take out. Let's say Tennessee is a middle of the road offensive team, which they're not. They're absolutely elite. We'd be sitting here going, "Where's the points for South Carolina? Like, where are your points coming from?" Um, and and you would kind of have to bank on the formula that we've seen them score with all year. Go to Kentucky, go to A and M. You know, Kentucky start off early, short fields. A and M short fields. Um, 
there were there were a couple really good lengthy long drives in those games, but it's not like they went up and down the field five times with 80-yard drives. Um, so we'd be sitting there having that conversation. Hey, th- this will be a tight game. South Carolina will have to win the turnover margin, make some bigger plays, run the ball, stop the run. But <laughs> you take all that and then you add the country's best offense by far um, onto that, and it, it is. It's a very, very – narrow path. I mean, South Carolina would have to play by far its best game of the year, and Tennessee would have to play by far its worst game, and that's where it's at. What's the FPI on the game, Wes? I haven't looked at the updated one, man. I think it was 88. Um, yeah, I mean, that for the Florida game? Oof. That sounds right. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. It just, it, 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 I mean, it, it is what it is, and so that's not, yeah, like you said, it's not us being disingenuous or trying to be overly negative. You know, we're trying to analyze and kind of set expectations, and that's that's kind of where it's at. And so what I was saying when, to go back to the point I was making that I guess you didn't hear, it, it's kind of like people have fast-forwarded a little bit um, to December, to the off offseason. Um, there was so much excitement going into this year. This year still has yielded some of that some very exciting moments. There have been some really cool moments this season, but there have been a lot of lows too. And so as it turns out, they're kind of, you know, I remember Luke Day saying going into this year that they're trying to stack more good moments and not and avoid kind of the extreme highs, the peaks and valleys. And, you know, as it turns out, we've, we've seen a lot of that this year. And the unfortunate part is now at the end of the season – um, South Carolina has attained bowl eligibility, of course, but now it's the end of the season, and the last two games happen to be extremely difficult games. You know, a, a, a couple of fringe playoff teams, a team with the country's best offense, a rivalry game um, against a very difficult opponent, and that's just kind of where it's at. How we are you surprised the line is what it is? Yes. I'm 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 trying to wrap my brain on kind of the the what and why. Yeah. I don't have any answers. I, I don't know. Are you going right yeah, now? I, I would have thought. I would have thought well over, not well over, but I, I would have thought definitely over three touchdowns. Um. Yeah, like I, I figured it'd be twenty three, yeah, twenty three, twenty four, something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Vegas doesn't see the games the way fans do. Like, I mean, we had fans on our site predicting like thirty five points, and I'm like, all right, they're not going to go that. All right, y'all, I I gotta go. My my computer is uh, or my connection is screwed. I don't know what's going on. Uh, we got to get integrated media out there, I guess, Wes. That's the only solution I see. Wes is now completely frozen. Folks, it looks like it may be up to me to close this out today. So that's what I'm going to do. We're going to give Wes a second. Here he is. Wes. No. Chris, tell everybody bye. You can, you can, you can um, do the close. I'm going to do the close and I'll end the show. All right. Hey, whoop, that's. Not that's me. All right, appreciate everybody for being on with us, GC Live. Thanks for hanging with us through some technical difficulties. Um, I'm again, I'm live at Steelhand Studios. Uh, come on out Friday, five o'clock. 
Music from Michael Haney, making his return to Columbia. Oyster Roast, GC Live Special Edition, the night before the Tennessee game. Uh, we will be out here at Steel Hands hanging out. We'll be doing the podcast. I know I'll be hanging out, hanging out around here. Um, thanks to Clint Hammond of Mortgage Network. Make sure you check him out, clinthammond.com, and our buddy Larry at Liberty Tax. Uh, thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, next up on the GC Live docket tomorrow night, talking Tuesday night with Mike Uva on Tuesday night. Y'all have a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.